uh, through the beginning part of chapter 15, which is about the vine and the branches. And Jesus was saying, I am the vine. Uh, the, the father is the gardener, the vine dresser, and you are the branches. And when you remain, abide in me, you will bear fruit. And, uh, and the fruit is actually the work of the son and the father. The branch's job is simply to abide and the fruit comes naturally from that. And so coming out of this section of uh, the vine and branches, we see uh, that the heading here in chapter 15, verse 18, the hatred of the world. So this is not necessarily helpful for all of us because if you're like me, nobody hates you. Um, Or maybe it's very useful for us all. Let's jump into it. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So Jesus just jumps right into it here. The world will hate you because it hated me first. Now when we look at this, it's kind of easy to see how a world that's in complete conflict with God, uh, in 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 opposition to God would be uh, people that would then hate people that were following him. But this is not the world in which Jesus is speaking to. He's not talking about the Romans when he speaks of the world. He's not talking about foreign invaders. He's talking about the Israelites. He's talking about the Jewish people. He's speaking specifically about Pharisees and Sadducees, the people that in that culture, in that time, would have been considered godly men and women. And he's saying, because they've hated me, they will also hate you. Now, this remains true today, this concept, that it's not just the the people that are in direct conflict with God. In many countries, uh, those that would be seen as godly in their culture are persecuting Christians uh, all over at, at rates that has never before been seen in history. So again, this is not something just from the distant past. He says, you would be loved by the world if you were from it. But I called you out of it. You see, these followers, the disciples, had been a part of this system. They were Israelites. They were were people that were trying to follow God through through the Old Testament law as best they could. And, And so Jesus says that you were in the world, but I pulled you, I called you out of it. And so now you are separate from the world. And a servant is not greater than his master. Jesus saying to his disciples, what? You thought this was going to get easier? Oh, no. No, not at all. It's about to come down. Things are about to get very, very difficult for you all. And I can see the disciples, you know, sitting back talking amongst themselves saying, you know, this would have been good information like three years ago when we had other jobs and we could have just stuck with that. But Jesus is saying, I want to prepare you for it. But, but he's not just there to encourage. Again, these whole last words as Jesus is preparing to go to the cross is to encourage them to get them ready. And he says this, if they kept my word, They will keep yours also. You see, some had followed Jesus. 
These disciples were the proof that some were listening to Jesus. Some were listening to this message about the kingdom of God coming. That that God had bigger plans for the world than what it was living out currently. That he didn't want it to be under law, but wanted it to be under grace. And, And many had followed. It wasn't just the twelve. But many had followed and Jesus is saying, be encouraged that some have listened to me. You're sitting here as proof of that and some will listen to you as well. And guess what? You and I, we are proof of that second part. 2,000 years later, we sitting in this building today are proof that some will listen and some will follow. James says it this way, count it all joy, my brothers, When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, I know how ridiculous that sounds. Count it joy that you experience trials of all kinds. Uh, of all kinds. I mean, that's hard to accept and, and, to, and to really embrace when we're going through tough times. I'm supposed to count this joy. But he says what it produces is worth it. This perseverance or, or steadfastness also uh, is referred to as stick-to-itiveness. When you have this kind of stick-to-itiveness, it will pay off in the end. And while that's hard to swallow, isn't that our experience in many places? Think about your career. Didn't you have to go through trials and tough times to learn how to do whatever it was that you did better? And how about your education, the difficulties of going through that? Even in families, the difficult times that have to come through in order to bring families together. And I'm even amazed at things like funerals. How amazing funerals can be for families. Tough times that bring groups of people back together that can laugh and and play together and mourn together and celebrate together. It's these kinds of trials that produce maturity. I was reading last week about the vine and the branches. And what I read was that the grapes that produce the best wines are ones that have been distressed. Ones that have gone through sometimes drought years, sometimes uh, fires nearby or part of, of the vineyard was burned and it stresses the entire vineyard, sometimes in not that great soil. It is those kinds of difficult circumstances that create the best wines, the best grapes, because they had to go through something to get to, to their maturity. Let's pick it up in verse 21. It says, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. If you had not, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me. Without a cause. Jesus saying, This isn't on you. This isn't about what you have done. It's on me. This is all about the, the thing that I've done. I've come into this world and turned their systems upside down, and people have chosen to hate me and therefore to hate my Father also, simply because they don't know Him. They're not in relationship with him. Even as you look at people that are God-fearing in different cultures and probably different religions, and they think that they're helping their God, it's because they don't have a relationship with the one true God. 
In 1 John, John continues this thought. It's a letter that he writes many years later. He says this in chapter 2, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. You remember that word from last week? If you heard from the beginning, if, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. This anointing that John is talking about uh, uh, is, is all about the Holy Spirit. This anointing that now abides in you that will teach you all things is the Holy Spirit. And he's reminding his believers, the people that had followed John, the same words that Jesus used here in chapter 15 and 16. Abide. Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me, and I will send a helper to you. And he will indwell you, and he will give you hope, and he will teach you all things. And so John, seeing that there are believers that have been discouraged, thinks back, what was an encouragement to me? And he goes right to these chapters that Jesus was talking to him. And so he uses some of the same language. Stick to it. Don't be deceived. Be reminded and be encouraged that the Holy Spirit is alive and working inside you. Back to Jesus in chapter 15. But when the helper comes who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus, again, hard times are coming, dark times are coming, they're going to hate you, they're going to persecute you, but the helper is coming. He's coming to live in you, and he will bear witness. This is talking uh, about like a a court hearing, and, and the witness is going to come and support the story that I have already told, and the Spirit will support the work that you are doing, and you know what else? You will be my witnesses also. And again, we are the result of that, that John uh, and, and the other disciples were his witnesses and would go out and be encouraged by the Spirit. And he says, your stories will make a difference in the world. You may have noticed in the last number of months, we've had a number of people come and share stories. And the reason we have done that, it's very intentional, and the reason is because you guys uh, are, are all about what Jesus is talking about. You are his witnesses. And God is at work in your lives and has been in, in ways that, that we couldn't come and try to duplicate or tell you a story of somebody else. And so we've had the opportunity to be encouraged by a number of people. And this morning, we're going to bring Elder, uh, uh, Elder Elmer Vermilia up. And uh, he's been at the church for a couple of years now. I think I heard a story about him literally up in these rafters putting the roof on so yeah Elmer's been around a little while and Elmer is an elder emeritus and that term emeritus is one that you maybe hear through colleges and stuff they as somebody retires they get to keep the title and the honor that goes along with that and uh, and so Elmer doesn't quite get all those benefits because in the church you don't ever get to retire because we are the church Elmer come on up and uh 
and so Elmer, we call Elmer in uh, on occasion, and he's been walking with us for the last number of months. We've asked that he continue to walk with the elders uh, through Christmas just to continue to pray for us and help us to do a better job of praying to uh, help us have insights into Scripture. And so he has... Uh, graciously, I will say graciously, uh, agreed to do that, and, and we are very appreciative of him. But he's also shared some stories with us that I couldn't do justice. And so, uh, Elmer, share with us, please. I have to wonder what I'm, I'm doing up here. But anyway, uh, the Lord has been good to us. We went through a a lot of trials, my wife and I. But I'll just go back where I kind of came from. Originally, I was born in Kansas. Uh, Was cultivating corn when I couldn't look through the spokes of the tractor. Uh, At age about 15, we moved back to Oregon. My dad had had during the... uh, uh, war days, the Second World War, why he uh, worked on defense work and was all over Oregon, Washington, well, all the states. When he got done uh, with that and the war was over, we went back to Kansas and farmed for a few years, and finally he decided that he, was, he thought there was a better way that he could make a living than farming. So back to Oregon, and eventually we ended up in Alaska. And there's a lot of things that went on between those times. But anyway, in Alaska, when I was about 19 years old, uh, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. In a, out in Spenard, a little ways outside of Anchorage. And I need to share with you how that came about. It was on Easter, and we'd been to a service at a little Baptist church and came home from church and turned on the TV, the first TV we ever had. Oh, Admiral, if you go back that far. And <laughs> anyway, that, uh, that day the crucifixion was on that afternoon. And... Uh, when they planted the the crown of thorns on Jesus' head, and they draw and nailed him to the cross, and they dropped him in that hole, and propped up the cross with him on it. And you know, before that, I, I was very reluctant to go forward in front of anyone except. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But that night on Easter evening, I walked down the aisle and I gave my life to Christ. Thinking, you know, if he could pay the price, go through all that for me, I could surely walk down the aisle and give my life to Christ. So I did that that evening, and I've never regretted that. If you've Weeks later, I was baptized into Christ, really a new, new person in Christ. Didn't know much. But anyway, as the years went by, 
and some things that came about that I kind of drifted off from the Lord. And I used to come down here in the, in the wintertime to keep from starving to death in Alaska. <laughs> and for about three months out of a year, I worked for Wilbur Turnick out in uh, the Way Beechcraft Nursery. And anyway, that's how I got started to go into church in this area, and I've been around here forever, and as as Aaron has said that I've served as a deacon and elder in this church and a little bit of everything, but I just want to share something with you that, that God is faithful even when I was not faithful. After I've been here down here permanently from Alaska for about six or seven years. I worked for Mike Johnson. Finally, another man and I decided we'd go into business for ourselves in the excavation business. And I talked that over with the Lord. I took it before him. And I felt like he really said, don't do this. You're, uh, you're going into a business unequally yoked. This man doesn't know Christ, and he doesn't want to know Christ. And I knew that because I had talked to him about Christ, and he actually told me, he said, don't talk to me about Christ. I don't want to hear it. Just leave me alone. If you want to talk to me, talk about other things, but don't talk to me about Christ. So it was pretty obvious I shouldn't go into business with him, but I did anyway. You know, I didn't listen to what God was telling me. Well, over a period of time, in a couple, three years, he wanted out. And his ways weren't my ways. It wasn't his fault. It was my fault. I made that foolish decision. And to make a long story short, uh, a few years later, a couple of years later, the, the bottom kind of fell out of things around here. And, and we ended up, my son and I ended up... Uh, well, I'll go back just a little bit. I went, went down to the bank, and our books looked really good for a couple of years. We made money hand over fist, it seemed like, and the books looked good. And, and my partner, he said, one day, I want out. And I said, well, I, I would have never went in business with you if I know you was going to you want out this quick, you know, in a couple of years. But he wanted out, so I went to the bank and, and talked to him, and Borrowed a couple hundred thousand dollars and took over the payments on the equipment and the shop and everything else that we owned or had. We didn't own it. The bank owned it. But anyway, in a couple, three years, uh, the bottom kind of fell out of things and I had borrowed too much money and trying to make payments and and all the excuses I can think of why this come about, but the real excuse, well, the real reason was that I had not listened to God. And I went ahead and did my thing. So anyway, we ended up selling, uh, Ray Wells, he was kind of selling out at that time and shut down his hot plant and he was having an auction and so, uh, I said to my son, what do you think about us just selling our equipment in the auction? And he said, I think that's a good thing, Dad. He said, we're just barely treading water. 
So that's what we did. We went down and talked to auctioneer and, and, and Ray Wells, and we sold our stuff with his. When the smoke had cleared away and talked to the banker, I was 50 grand in a hole. All the money I'd saved in Alaska and put into it was gone. And he said to me, he said, how do you want to handle this, Elmer? He said, uh, can you make $450 payments a month? I said, well, I don't have a job. I don't have any equipment. I don't know, but I'll try. So that's... My wife and I, Shirley, went to work at Wells Plastic, which is my brother and sister-in-law's place in injection molding. And we went to work there, minimum wage, just a little over that. But we were able to make that $450 payment a month by the skin of our teeth. And anyway, in a short time after that, and I had... Uh, Bob Hartshorn, he had bought one of our cats at the auction, and we'd been doing his subdivision out there. And, and he came to me and he said, would, would you be interested in coming out and take your cat and finish up the subdivision? He said, I'll pay you 15 bucks an hour, which is a pretty good wage in those days, and if you'll finish up my subdivision. So that's what I did. And... Uh, then after that was done, well, I went to work for Jack Leisure. And his, Jack was very good to me and paid me more than I was worth, that's for sure. But anyway, my brother-in-law kept coming to me with this here. He said, uh, are you interested in doing liquid plastisol dipping? I, I don't know nothing about liquid plastisol. Not much a mechanic. Not very good at figuring those kind of things out. I'd moved dirt all my life, and I didn't, I didn't really know anything about that. But I said, John, you know, I, I'm interested in anything that I can get out of debt that's legal. <laughs> and so I had a 24 by 36 pool building out by our house that was empty at that time, and they had built a few years before. And anyway, I got a lot of information. John helped me get some of it together. And I went out there to fool him with the plastic saw. And he kept sending me little little jobs that people come in and wanted. And began, the Lord began to show me how to do these things. Although I didn't have the slightest idea how to do them, he began to show me. And we were able to do them. And I won't go into a lot of detail, but... To make a long story short, we got a job from Gibson Dishholders recoding them. And we had nine people working for us in that shop. God blessed us, even though that I hadn't done this foolish thing. Anyway, I'm working for Jack Leisure. Shirley's running the shop during the day. We're running two shifts, and I'm go out and fix everything that 
was broke down during the day for the night shift. And I'm still working for Jack during the day. Well, needless to say, we got pretty tiresome. But God blessed it. We made everything. We made hitch covers. We made chain bar covers. We done our own silk screening. All the things I didn't know anything about, but God showed me how to do them. Showed us how to do them. And it awakened something in me that I didn't know was in me. I kind of liked it, you know. Uh, so anyway, we got our plastisol out of uh, Washington, and Shirley and I took one Saturday and went up there and got some plastisol, and we got home the, the one of the dipping machines that the uh, guy had been working with on Saturdays. We'd done all our odd stuff on Saturdays. And so he had had trouble with it, and he had it tore apart from one end to the other, just laying out there. And Well, I can usually put something back together if I take it apart, but when I don't take it apart, it's a little different story. So we got home about that 9 o'clock at night, and he told me all these problems, and I said, well, when I get home from church from tomorrow, I'll, I'll work on it. So I, we did that, and... I finally got the thing back together, and but I had to clean all the pumps and all the stuff to get ready for, for the crew Monday. And I'm out there about 9 or 10 o'clock at night, and I just really tired. I sat back on my haunches and on the table there, and I said, Lord, what do you really want me to do? Do you want me in excavation, or do you want me in the plastisol business? And I really didn't get an answer. I sat there for a little bit and listened, tried to be quiet. And so anyway, I finally got things back together, and I don't know how late at night it was when I got done, but it was late. And two weeks later, that shop burned to the ground. I guess the moral of my story is, if you don't want an answer, you better not ask the Lord. <laughs> but anyway, that, that sharp shop burnt to the ground. But in that process, we were able to pay off that $50,000. We had just got it paid off, and that shop burned to the ground. My sis said my brother-in-law had passed away with cancer before that in short time. And my sis says, I'll loan you the money. We'll get, get your shop up and we'll get it to going again. I said, no. I talked to the Lord about this a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago. I said, I believe this is what he's telling me. So eventually, as, a, as hard as it was, and I need to share something else, too. This building got so hot that it melted. I mean, melted most of it. This building's within five foot of the overhang of our home. We have cedar shakes 
or had cedar shakes in the house at that time. And never even scorched one of those shakes. Not a sign of a scorch on it. So I felt like God protected us, and I also felt like he, he said, you know, this is it. You don't, you don't do this business anymore. So eventually we went back into the, what Jack, Jack Leisure's business, Porter Layton and I did, and went back into the excavation business after Jack decided to, to sell out. I guess, well, I know that over the years, God has protected me, even though I wasn't faithful to him, even though he told me, pretty plain, don't do this. But I wanted to do it. So I did. I thank God that he's looked after us for, for so many years, you know, he, he drove me to him when I was a kid in Alaska. He's looked after me all these years. He's very special to me. He's my Lord and King, my hope, my joy, my peace. He's everything. He's let me serve here for many years. I'd never made it without him. I just got one little more thing I want to say. I, uh, I don't know what you do or how you spend your time with the Lord. But I try to spend some time early in the morning and the evening. It's no, n- there's no chance of it happening in the evening. I go to sleep. But early in the morning is my time with the Lord, and I try to get up and have some prayer, read some scripture, talk with him, and, and try to shut up and listen to what he's got to say for me, to me. I hope you have a special time with, with him that way also. I just want to read one thing here. It, it's in James chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I got a little bookmarker from Omaha, Home for Boys. I just want to read this. This reflects my heart. It says, good morning, God. You're rushing in another day, untouched, freshly and new. So here I come to ask you, God, if you'll renew me too. Forgive the many errors that I have made yesterday, and let me try again, dear God, to walk closer in thy way. But, Father, I'm well aware I can't make it on my own. So take my hand and hold it tight, for I can't walk alone. Thank you.
I do it wrong? How's that? Is that better? Cool. Um, wow, what a story, and he's got so many more, and when he talks, I usually try to shut up and, and listen, and uh, so many lessons he's learned, some of them the hard way that maybe I won't have to learn the hard way if I'm paying attention. Uh, plus, if you're looking to get out of a business deal, then have Elmer pray for you. Maybe it'll burn to the ground. <laughs> so, um, even in hard times, I mean, Elmer's one that he's been called out of the world in times that, as he's shared with us, that looked like he was making choices from uh, the world's perspective and God was faithful to him anyway. And, and Jesus reminding us, you've been called out of the world, but the world uh, it has different priorities than you. And, and the world may at times hate you. And in 16 uh, verse 1, he says why he's saying these things. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you re- may remember that I told them to you. So here, Jesus, I'm just telling you these things so that you don't fall away. When times are hard, when times are desperate, when there doesn't seem to be much hope or much joy in your life, that you will stick to it. You'll have that perseverance, that you'll have that stick to itiveness, that you will stick to your faith in these hard times. And the reality was very much there for the disciples. This wasn't some hypothetical, intangible thing for the disciples. They were about to be facing it. Jesus is hours away from his death, and shortly after, they would face similar trials. Saul was, was one, uh, an insider, a, a Jew of all Jews, and somebody to be celebrated. Uh, and, and it says in Acts chapter 9, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem." Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and continues on. You can read it this week. Jesus having a moment with Saul who was persecuting and hunting down and arresting and killing Christians. And yet he would go on to become Paul and write much of the New Testament. And yet the disciples were facing these kinds of threats. It says that those who are killing you will think that they're doing God a favor. That's what Saul is doing. He's going to the high priest and saying, listen, we're going to do God a big favor. We're going to hunt this sect down, this cult down and get rid of them one by one if I have to arrest them all myself. They thought they were doing God a favor because they were outside of relationship with him. The disciples, one by one, would face similar circumstances. Peter being crucified upside down. Matthew getting speared to death. Bartholomew getting whipped to death. Andrew also being crucified. James being struck down by the sword. John spending his last days in isolation on Patmos. Uh, Philip being hung by hooks upside down. 
Do you think as they were facing those circumstances that they were thinking of these words of Jesus? But it's going to be worth it. And even in those moments, the comforter, the helper will be there with you to help get you through. Just stick it out. And your stories of faith will be an encouragement to others for generations and generations to come. And in Hebrews, it actually talks about men of faith and, and, and how their stories affected so many. And at the end of that, it says, but their stories of faith are incomplete without your stories of faith. And he's talking about you. That's why we have Elmer come up here. That's why we've had others come up and share because these stories of scripture are incomplete This is incomplete because it has to be added to your stories because God is still making a difference. Now, the reality for us today in America is that we don't have to face a lot of this, but that's not true across our globe. Last year, there were more Christians persecuted and killed than any time in human history. More than 215 million Christians in 50 different countries face extreme persecution day in and day out today. Beatings and abductions, incarceration, rape, torture, and murder. Those things happen today. There's some great sources out there. You should go and learn about some of these. Uh, One that our students have been involved with is called Love Costs Everything. Love costs everything. Billy Graham does a lot of work with with the persecuted church uh, today, and he's got a lot of great information about ways that you can join them and pray for them. I encourage you to go and find out about this for yourself. This stuff is still very real. And, And while we, you and I, are probably not going to face that kind of persecution in our lifetimes, you you can't take us out of our own lives. And we have persecution of our own. Sometimes they're in business dealings, lost income because of your character, because of your morals, deals falling through, people that you're not willing to go into business with, family relationships, members of your own family that won't even talk to you. Or if they do, it's always some snide comment or sarcastic remark about how weak you are to rely on faith. Friendships that have ended or or, or are struggling to survive because of your faith. Missed opportunities. These things are real. And and while globally the Christians are facing much worse than us, we still live in our lives and we have to face this day in and day out. And I want to end with this out of Romans. uh, Some encouragement and hope for the future. It says, uh, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for hope. God, I thank you for the presence of your spirit that when we face trials, God, that, uh, that we are not alone in them. God, allow us to listen to you, to be open to your spirit, uh, to, to become more aware of your presence. God, that we can listen to you and follow your best for our lives. Lord, we pray for the persecuted church uh, in the world today, God, and, and so many who, who rely on these words who are in jail, 
God, who are being beaten today because of their faith in you, but, but not because of them, but because of your name. God, I understand that the heaviness that you feel, God, that this is on you. And yet this persecution, God, these trials will produce character, will produce hope, and will produce others that believe in you. We trust you with this. Allow us to see the role that we can play in, in global uh, persecution. God, we thank you that you are with us as we are here together. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to our time of